Pastor Jeffrey A. Johnson Sr. and the Eastern Star Baptist Church welcome you to Jewel Ministries. This television broadcast will bring you into our worship service where Jesus is exalted and the word is explained. We encourage you now to worship God with us. If you have a need you would like someone to pray with you about, please call our prayer line at 317-591-5064. Thank you for joining us today.
be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you're our strength, and Lord, you're our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a word from the Lord in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3. Oh, let me tell you how to get there, because y'all going to be all day with that. Um, turn to the book of Malachi. That's the last book in the Old Testament, right before you get to all the red letter stuff. And then go back four little itty-bitty short books, all right? Go to Malachi, last book in the Old Testament. Turn left, go four short blocks, and you're going to be at Habakkuk, all right? Now, those of you who didn't listen to me, you just get the tape. You're going to be trying to find that book uh, through the rest of this sermon. Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning with verse 17. Have you found it? Verse 17, I'm reading from the New International Version. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. 
Um, verse 18 in the King James Version says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I want to preach about I still have joy. I still have joy. The context for this all begins in, in the early chapters of Habakkuk. In chapter 1, it opens up with a burden of Habakkuk because of what he was seeing in chapter 1, verse 1. He's burdened by what he sees in Judah, by what he sees in the people, and even some things that are going on in his own life has become such a burden that he begins to question God. I know you holy and you would never do it, but Habakkuk questioned God because he saw bad things happening to good people. And he saw good things happening to bad people. And he wanted to know, God, what's going on with this? So he was asking God, what's happening? Why is it happening? And how long will this happen? He was questioning God about what he thought was the inactivity of God. God, why won't you do something? That if you are alive and well, God, you ought to be moving in this situation. But he was wondering, why was God so inactive? And he also questioned the indifference of God. It's one thing to be inactive. It's another thing to be indifferent. He thought that God didn't even care. He said, God, you must be indifferent. You must not even care what's happening, not even concerned about what's going on. How can you allow the things that are happening in you and allow the things that are happening to me to go down and not even do anything about it? Then he questioned the inconsistency of God. He said, our grandparents and, and foreparents told us about you, God. They said that you are God who intervenes. You're God who intercedes. You are God who shows up on our behalf, but we don't see that. You have done for them what you won't do for us. You are inconsistent in this thing. And he just goes on questioning God. And some of those issues were he was looking at Babylon coming in and conquering Judah. And he began to talk about the real estate that Babylon had and the houses that they lived in and the transportation they had with the horses and the influence they had with their jobs. And, and he said, God, they got all of this stuff because of violence, because of oppression, because of extortion. They dogged us to get that stuff. And God, you didn't even do anything about it. Don't look at me like you never questioned God. You've never wondered how good things can happen to bad people. And bad things happen to good people. You've never looked at somebody who you knew was the biggest sinner in Indianapolis and said, how can things be working out for them? And then look at your own situation. At least you're trying to live right. And then things be going so bad for you. That's what he was dealing with. That's what he was addressing. And so he deals with these. He's puzzled and perplexed in chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, he climbs up into this tower this watchtower, and he begins to prophesy because God gives him a vision. In chapter 2, verse 1, God says, I'm going to give you this vision. Write it down. He didn't get the vision until he went to another level. See, as long as we are down, depressed, and, and low life, and hang out in low places and all, our vision of God is so distorted. That's why some of us have a distorted view of God. We don't really see what God is all about because we hang out in low places and we live low lives. But when he goes to the tower, God gives him vision. God helps him to see things a lot better. And God says, I want you to write this vision down in tablets, make it permanent, and then put it in a public place. Make it so that people who are running back can see it. I want folk for generations to know what your vision is and what this prophecy is. Well, what was it? chapter 2, verse 2, he says that, that God will show up. There is an appointed time. There is a particular time. The stuff you're questioning God about, why won't he do something with Babylon? Why won't he set Judah free? God says, I am going to do that. I'm going to show up and punish Babylon. I'm going to show up and set Judah free. And it's an appointed time. It's a particular time. I'm will, I will show up. He said, but until then, just wait on me. Because the just walk by faith and not by sight. God said, I'm going to show up and there's going to be a reversal of things. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. I'm going to turn this thing around. But until I turn it around, you just learn how to wait on me. Y'all, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He will show up in your situation, but until then, don't you jump off a bridge. 
Don't you put a bullet through your head. Leave those drugs and alcohol alone. Y'all don't live like that. You got to learn how to wait on God when life becomes difficult for you. I was preaching in Houston, Texas uh, this past week. And Houston, it's a great city, great church, Brentwood Baptist Church. And uh, Dr. Joseph Ratliff and Brentwood Church, he's been there 25 years. They've been doing for 25 years stuff we just now doing. It's that kind of church. I mean, they really got it going on. And uh, we were in the pastor's study. I was preaching with Pastor Maurice Watson. I would preach. One song later, he would preach. We had a great three nights. Souls got saved. Lives got changed. But the second night we were there, we were hanging out in the pastor's study before the worship was to start. It's 6.30 p.m. Worship starts at 6.45. Fire alarm goes off. And immediately, Pastor Ratliff tells one of his young preachers, go and check it out. Seconds later, the young preacher comes back in and says, Pastor, there is no fire. There is no real emergency. Everything is okay. So the pastor tells him, now go to the sanctuary and tell those people don't go anywhere. It's 2,000 people, 15 minutes before worship starts, already in their seat. They ain't like us, coming late, leaving her. They already in their seat. 15 minutes before worship. Now the fire alarm is going off. He tells the young preacher, go tell them, don't go anywhere. It's not a real emergency. Tell them, do not leave the church. It's not a real emergency. Later on, we discovered what had happened. A woman was walking up, up the stairs in the Brentwood church, and she tripped and stumbled. And before she fell, she grabs the fire alarm to keep from falling. Now, she should have just grabbed the handrail and held on. She didn't do that. She grabbed the alarm when she should have just grabbed the railing and held on. It wasn't a real emergency. Now she's got everybody alarmed because she's pulling emergency alarms rather than holding on. And that's all I got to tell you, y'all, is you're going to go through some things in your life, but it ain't a real emergency. Because there are no emergencies with God. Don't you give up. Don't you leave the church. You just stay right there. And instead of pulling alarms, just hold to God's unchanging hand. He may not come when you want him. But how many of you know he'll be there right on time? So now we're in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is about prayer. In chapter 1, he's puzzled and perplexed. In chapter 2, he's prophesying. In chapter 3, Habakkuk is praying. The whole chapter is all about prayer. Our verse in verse 17 through 19, our verses, he ends the prayer. And he ends this book with a prayer. And watch how the end of the prayer goes. He says, though the fig tree doesn't blossom, though there be no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop does not come in, though there be no sheep in the pens and no cattle in the stall. Watch what is, this is devastating, y'all. This is devastation at its worst. This is everything going wrong at the same time. This is not one thing behind another. This is Murphy's Law, that everything that can go wrong will go wrong. You ever had that happen in your life? I mean, it wasn't like your car broke down, you got it fixed, then your furnace went out. Then your furnace broke down, you got it fixed. Then you had uh, issues with your rent. You got your rent paid. Then you had issues with your... Uh, this is everything at the same time. And he's not talking here about luxury. He's not saying, I don't have the luxury of life. He's saying, I only have a necessity of life. The things he's mentioning, y'all, these are things that the Hebrew people would use every day. Fig trees were so prolific in their production that figs would produce fruit all year round. Wasn't no seasonal things for figs. That's all year round. They would eat that stuff every day. The, the, the vines that produce the grapes, so you have the fruit, you have the juice, and you have the wine. And these beverages that they would drink every day, the olive oil, they would use oil the way we use butter to prepare food, to cook their food, uh, to put it on their bread. They used it every day the way we use butter. The sheep, that's where they would get their clothes from and other products for the home. And then the cattle, that's with their energy resource. They were farmers. And they would plow the field with these cattle. This is stuff that they, these are not luxuries. These are necessities. And Habakkuk is saying that even if I don't have the necessities of life, if I don't have the, have the bare, fundamental, basic things of life, God, I ain't going nowhere. See, some of us are crying to God because we don't have luxury, but there's some others who are asking God to give us just the necessities. See, you trying to eat filet mignon, somebody else just wants food. 
You're trying to live in a split home out in the suburbs. Somebody else just wants a roof over their head. You're trying to wear Armani suits and Liz Claiborne. Somebody else just wants clothes on their back. You're trying to get your kids some Allen Iversons and some T-Macs. Somebody else just wants some shoes on their kids' feet. Are y'all following me? He said, I don't even have the fundamental basic things of life, but God, I ain't going nowhere. I'm still going to wait on you because we walk by faith and not by sight. Watch this. He's got trees. He's got vines. He's got a field. He's got pens, and he has a stall. Trees with no figs, vines with no grapes, field with no olive crops. He's got pens with no sheep. He's got stalls but no cattle. Watch him. He has prepared for blessings that never showed up. He's ready for the blessing. He has worked and waited. He's plowed his field. He's worked the field. He's waited on the harvest, but he hasn't reaped anything. He's prepared his stalls. He wants this stuff to come. He's all ready for a blessing that never shows up. You imagine how frustrating that is to fast and pray for stuff other folk already have? The stuff other people take for granted. You've been fasting and praying, God, just do a little bit for me. Just give me the necessities of life. Watch this now. These are the fundamental things. And here you are, you fasting, you're praying, you naming it and claiming it, but you're not framing it. It just ain't coming. You've been begging God for all these blessings that will not show up. That must be a frustrating thing to get ready for some stuff that won't come. You know what I'm talking about here. You, you tried to go to college and everybody else out acting a fool and partying, but there you are, you disciplined, you doing your work, burning the midnight oil, turning in your assignments, and you doing everything. Got your degree, went back and got your master's and all of that, but now because the economy is so bad, you can't even find a job in your field. You prepared for a blessing that never came. You didn't get a chance to go to college, but you had enough sense to work on your skills. So you were an apprentice to somebody or internship somewhere. You got on the job training because you're going to get the experience and the skills. And you finally have prepared yourself and got ready for a job opportunity that never showed up. Can you imagine preparing for a blessing that won't come? I mean, here while everybody else was living like a whore and like a dog, you decided that you're going to be disciplined and you're going to be discreet. You were devoted to this particular person. You thought y'all would get married and live happily ever after. Everybody else is living with casual sexual affairs, not you. You're disciplined and discreet and devoted. But now the person you thought you would marry has married somebody else. And not only do you not have a mate, you can't even find a date because you prepared for a blessing that never showed up. Have you ever wondered how somebody could be married and devoted to each other, husband and wife, love each other, faithful to each other, and for 5, 10, 15 years try to have a baby and never have one? And then you got a 13-year-old girl on her fourth child and can't spell husband? How is it when somebody can do everything right and it, it doesn't work, somebody else does everything wrong and they get blessings they weren't even looking for? All I'm trying to tell you, y'all, sometimes in life, I don't know how we're going to work it out intellectually, but sometimes in life you can do everything good and stuff still turn out bad. You're waiting on a blessing that never shows up. How are you going to respond? Well, may maybe this was, maybe Habakkuk, these trees at some point had figs. At some point, the vines had grapes. At some point, the pens had sheep. At some point, the stalls had cattle and the fields had crop. At some point, but it doesn't now. I wonder which is worse. Which is more frustrating? To expect something and never get it or to have something and now lose it? I mean, something you used to have all the time and you, you, you don't have it anymore. I mean, you used to have a great job. Now they downsized and right-sized, and you have no job. You used to live in that big old house out there in the suburbs, and then you live in a little bitty old apartment somewhere. Used to have it, and you don't have it anymore. Used to have a good, healthy relationship, and now you don't have anything. Used to have a great marriage, and everything looked like it was fine and on the upward road and, and all of that, but now you don't have anything. Your stocks and your bonds were doing great, but now your stocks and your mutual funds are doing like the Dow and on its way down. Which is worse, to expect something and it never show up 
or to have possessed something that you don't have anymore. That's what he is dealing with in this passage of scripture. And that's a devastating situation. But watch his response in verse 18. Everything is gone. I have no luxury. I have no necessity. Stuff I thought I was going to get, I don't have. Now watch his response. I will rejoice in the Lord. Now that word Lord there means Jehovah. It means Yahweh. It's the promise-making, promise-keeping God. It is the God that we enter into relationship with. Watch him. He's saying that though I'm experiencing devastation, I can still have my celebration because I still got what I had with God. Everything else is gone, but when everything else is gone, y'all, God ain't going nowhere. God is still God all by himself. I will rejoice. I will get my praise on. And I know why some of us can't get excited because our, our celebration is determined by our provision. That, that our shouting is depending upon our stuff. That our praise is determined by our possessions. So as long as I got possessions, I got praise. As long as I got stuff, I can shout. As long as things are going my way, I can give God the honor. But I want somebody to understand that when you got a right relationship with God, even if stuff don't work out the way you want it to work out, you can still celebrate the Lord. I will rejoice. That's activity. That's action. He said, here's going to be my response. My action will not be determined by my condition. I will not let the condition that I'm going through negatively dictate my actions. See, some of us raise hell in other folks' life because of the hell you go through. Then you justify that messed up behavior because your condition is messed up. Habakkuk is telling us you can have the right reaction even living in a messed up condition. Then he goes from that activity to the right attitude. He goes from action to disposition. He says, I will joy in God the God of my salvation. I love that joy. See, rejoice is an activity. Joy is an attitude. Rejoice is an action. Joy is a disposition. Some of us still come to church, but we got the wrong disposition at church. I mean, we still wave and still making noise. It just ain't a joyful noise. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. It's, an, it's the right attitude. Okay, let me say it like this. There are different categories of sin. Somebody went through the Bible and found 167 different sins, but they are in different categories. So you have what are called the sins of commission. That's when God tells you not to do something and you do it anyway. You commit it. That's the sin of commission. And then there are the sins of omission. That's where God tells you to do something and you don't do it and you omit it. That's the sin of omission. But y'all, there's a third category of sin, and that is the sin of disposition. That you're doing what God wants you to do, but you got your lip poked out while you're doing it. Are y'all following me? So he says that what I'm going to do is not only will I rejoice with the right activity, but I'm going to joy in God. I'm, I don't have my stuff, but I got my joy in God. I'm doing it. When you get into God, it doesn't matter whether you have some stuff. And I know we don't like this kind of preaching in the 21st century because we equate spirituality with materiality. We believe if I got the material, I'm spiritual. And if, I got, if I'm spiritual, I will always have the material. Habakkuk messes up your theology. Habakkuk is saying you can have a right relationship with God. You can have it right with Elohim. You can be with Yahweh and still not have material things. He said, but I still got joy. Y'all, this, this is a difference between, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is determined by what is happening around you. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. That's what's going on in you. So if things are happening around me and, the, and what's happening is favorable, then I'm happy. If what is happening around me is unfavorable, then I'm not happy. Joy ain't got nothing to do with my surroundings. Joy is internal. It's inside. It's inward. So all hell can be breaking loose outside, but I can still have joy on the inside. It's the fruit of the Spirit. If I'm right with Jesus and I'm walking under the anointing of God, I can still have joy. Y'all ain't, okay, all right, let me explain like this. Um, some of us wait till we feel something before we get our praise on. And that's why some of us never praise him. 
because you're waiting on a feeling. So for two hours in worship, well, I, don't, I don't feel nothing. Habakkuk said, I ain't waiting until I feel something. Watch what he says. I will rejoice. I will joy. Y'all, you can will it even if you don't feel it. There are times I come to church, I don't feel like raising my hand. I don't feel like dancing. I don't feel like praising. I don't feel like preaching. But I come in here and do it anyway because I can will it when I don't feel it. So I command my hands to praise the Lord. I command my feet to praise the Lord. I command my mouth to praise the Lord. I ain't got to wait till a good, wonderful feeling to get my praise on. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done... Joy is internal. It's inside. Y'all, sinners can be happy. I mean, the only time you can get your praise on is when your rent is caught up and your insurance has not lapsed and your car payment is caught up and you got a car in your garage and some money in your account and some interest on your stocks. That sinners can shout off that. That don't make us any better than folk who have not accepted Jesus Christ. The real test of Christianity is when I can have joy and stuff ain't going right for me. Okay, let, all right, I'm going to explain it like this. Um, I don't know if y'all remember that Vicks, 40, Vicks Formula 44 commercial. Vicks Formula 44 had this commercial out, and these two women get on an airplane. Both of them have codes. They're uncomfortable. They're coughing, not feeling good because they both have codes. One of them sits in the first class, and she's got this huge seat because she's in first class. She can totally recline. She's got a TV and a little video right there at her seat, and uh, she's got the flight attendant bringing her Don Perignon, and she's eating shrimp cocktail. She's in first class. And then she takes Robitussin and continues to cough. Now there's another woman. She's not in first class. She's in the cheap seats back in coach. She ain't got no great big seat. She's got that little bitty seat back in coach. And she's sitting between these two big, hurly, burly men. I mean, she's in the middle seat. They got her all crammed in. She's drinking water while the other woman's drinking Dom Perignon. She's back here eating peanuts, not shrimp cocktail. But she takes Vicks Formula 44 and goes fast asleep between two big men in the middle seat of a little chair with no TV, with no video, no Don Perignon, and no shrimp. She's sleeping in that middle seat. Up in coach, that woman's still coughing because she's taking uh, up in first class. She's coughing because she took Robitussin. The commercial goes off, points to the woman in coach and says she's not in first class, but she has the better ride. They're trying to say her ride is better, not because of her surroundings around her, but because of what she has internalized in her. Y'all, I don't dress like Bill Gates. I don't drive what Bill Gates drives. I don't live in a first-class mansion like Bill Gates, but I promise y'all, my ride is better than Bill Gates because I'm filled with God's Holy Spirit. Jesus lives in me, and I can have joy in sorrow. Do I have a witness in here? It moves now from this celebration to elevation. Watch what it says. Here he, he says, God is my strength, and he shall make my feet like hinds feet, like the feet of a deer. And God shall make me to walk in high places. I'm getting ready to shout because I know what I'm getting ready to say. He says, he says, he says, I'm getting ready to ascend. I'm getting ready to go to another level. I'm getting ready to be elevated. Watch me. I have no figs on my tree. I have no grapes on my vine. I have no olives in my field. I have no sheep in my stalls. I have no cattle in their pens, but I, I'm still getting ready to go to another level because you don't need all that stuff to get to high places. Y'all, some of y'all think you got to have possessions before you find your place. Jesus is saying, I can get you to high places without you having any possessions. Matter of fact, it's almost like God is telling Habakkuk, when you had figs and food and fold and flock and you had all that, you still had no joy. You had no salvation. 
You were not in high places. You were not on the level I wanted you to be on. So here's what I had to do with you, Habakkuk. I had to take some stuff from you to raise you. I had to let you go through these experiences so that I could elevate you. You were focusing too much on all the stuff you had and didn't focus on me. But when that stuff start coming away from you, you start giving me the glory that I deserve. The next time NASA has a space shuttle take off, I want y'all to notice something. The next time NASA has a space shuttle to take off, once it takes off, some stuff it started with doesn't go up with it. Higher it goes, more stuff falls off. Then it finally gets to a certain point, the last thing falls off, and it goes to a whole nother stratosphere. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Just because God is allowing stuff to drop off from you don't mean that God has forsaken you, don't love you, he ain't concerned. God says, I want you to go higher, so I got to drop this friend and drop this running buddy and drop this click and drop this. Do I have a witness in this place? He says, I'm going to elevate you. I got to get you to another level. I'm going, he's going to make me to walk in high places. Ah, but wait a minute. Before he makes you walk in high places, it says he's going he's to make our feet like hind's feet, like the feet of a deer. Wait a minute. Some of us want to go to high places, but we don't want the preparation to get to the place. We want a promotion without preparation. God is saying, uh-uh, because for whatever reason, you have no spiritual balance, that your footing is not right. And if I get you in high places right now, and you don't know how to walk in low places, if you can't walk on the level you own, you sure can't walk at the next level. And Jeffrey Johnson, I'd rather have you fall at this level than to fall in high places. Because if you fall at this level, you ain't going to get hurt. But if you fall in high places, it might destroy. If I'm riding down the street on my bike and I fall, I get up and dust myself off. But if I fall from the Empire State Building, y'all ain't understanding this. Sometimes God is trying to teach you at the level you own to prepare you when you go to the next. Listen, you think God has left you? He ain't left you. He's preparing you. I spent three years pastoring the church in Terre Haute, Indiana, St. Paul Baptist Church. We had 75 members. That's counting the ones in the sanctuary and cemetery. And I'm mad at God because, God, I want a promotion. God, I want you to take me to the next level. God is saying, Jeffrey Johnson, your footing ain't right. But if you mess up in Terre Haute at St. Paul, don't nobody care and don't nobody know you and it don't make a difference to nobody else. But if you fall at Eastern Star Church, this is a church known around the nation. It's going to bring destruction. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to make you in Terre Haute so I can use you in Indianapolis. He had to prepare me before he promoted me. Do I have a witness in here? Watch the preparation. Watch how he prepares us. Here it is. He says, I'm going to make your feet like deer's feet. Deer's feet? Y'all, deer's do not have paws and claws. They have what are called hooves. They have a two-piece hoof, hooves at the bottom of their foot, at the bottom of their feet. And the way it happens is a deer can weigh as much as 400 pounds. But because of the, the kind of feet they have, not paws and claws, but hooves, though they weigh 400 pounds, they can be light and nimble and quick. And when their enemies come to get them, if a coyote jumps out at a deer... Part of his protective mechanism, defensive mechanism, is that he can run 35 miles per hour. That's the kind of feet that he has. He's 400 pounds, but can run 35 miles per hour. But a coyote is as fast as a deer. But just before a coyote can jump on the deer and destroy him, because of the kind of feet a deer has, he can stop on the dime and change direction. Y'all missed that. His enemy is getting ready to destroy him. Destruction is going to jump on him. But before it happens, he can stop on a dime and change direction. God says he's going to make our feet like deer's feet because some of us are moving in the way of destruction. 
You go in places you shouldn't go, doing things you shouldn't do, and destruction is getting ready to jump on you. But I got some good news for you today. God knows that he can make it that you can stop right now. Stop drugging right now. Stop lying right now. Stop snorting right now. Stop clubbing right now. Stop whoring right now. How many of you know God can stop you now and change your direction? I'm going to make your feet like the feet of a deer. You know what else about these hooves that they have? Deers, y'all, can weigh as much as 400 pounds, but the average height a deer can jump is eight feet. You think you got some hops. A deer... His vertical is eight feet. That's, he can, and actually can do it from a standing position because of the kind of feet that he has. I saw this happen. I was out on the north side of Indianapolis. I was coming up Guyon Road, turning right on the 71st Street, getting ready to go to Michigan Road. I see a deer come out of this wooded area. There's a subdivision there now. While they was working on the subdivision, this deer comes running out of the woods, gets to 71st Street. Cars are coming and going. He negotiates that danger, gets across the street, and about 10 to 15 yards away is a 10-foot fence. So I'm thinking, this deer has put his life in danger crossing that street. Now he's going to come to this 10-foot barrier. He's going to have to go right back renegotiate that traffic and try to go back to where he just came from. That deer wasn't thinking about nothing I was thinking. That deer crossed 71st Street, picked up speed. Here's a 10-foot fence. He picks up speed, and without breaking stride, he clears a 10-foot fence. Here's what I'm telling you. He didn't have to go back through the danger and where he came from because God made it so that he could get over where he was. And God says he's going to give us feet like deer's feet. You've gone through devastation, bad marriages, bad relationships. But God said, baby, you ain't got to go back to that mess. I'm going to make it so that you can get over where you are. Look at somebody and tell them, get over it. I'm going to make your feet like hind's feet. I'm going to make, this is your preparation before you go to your high place. He says, I'm going to make your feet like deer's feet. Deers don't have paws or claws. They got hooves. That's why they can live in a variety and a diversity of different areas and different terrains. Some of them live in the forest. Others live in the field. Some live in the mountains. They can live in swamps because of the kind of footing they have. They can handle tough terrain so they never get stuck in the mud. They can handle wooded areas. They can handle mountainous areas. That's how they're able to get away from so many enemies because their enemies don't have the kind of footing that they have. So they are able to get in certain areas so they can stand in the forest, stand in the field, stand in the mud. They can st wherever they are, they can stand. But you know what I learned while they're standing? Deers can also fight. Now, I know, I know it's hard to believe because you've never seen one fight. But, y'all, they can fight. They don't want to. Their defensive mechanism kicks in. They take off running. But they can fight. If a coyote corners a deer and the deer has no way to run out, that deer can get a stand. And with the same feet he used to run with, he doesn't want to, but he's backed in a corner. And if you back him in a corner, he doesn't want to. But he can take out a coyote, y'all. The same feet he used to run with are the feet he can fight with, and he's able to overcome his enemies. I bring that up because God makes our feet like deer's feet. And y'all, there are times I don't want to fight because I'm a lover, not a fighter. But I tell y'all this, if you back me into a corner, it don't mean you're going to get the victory. I don't want to fight you. I've been trying to avoid the fight with you. But if you back me in a somebody ought to hear what I'm saying. He makes our feet like deer's feet so I can take a stand in the name of Jesus and still get my fight. Okay, y'all ain't getting this. Um, how can I prove this? Oh, Erica Pratt. Philadelphia, the seven-year-old African-American girl that got kidnapped. When Erica Pratt got kidnapped, seven years old, when she got kidnapped, the whole nation went down in prayer for her because we didn't want the same thing to happen to her that happened to the five-year-old girl in California that got kidnapped, raped, and killed. We didn't want the same thing to happen to her that happened to the six-year-old in Missouri that got kidnapped and killed. So we, we didn't know her, but we was all praying for Erica Pratt. Seven years old. Come to find out when she got kidnapped, the kidnappers, kidnappers put her in a basement of an abandoned apartment and then put duct tape 
around her hands, duct tape around her ankles, duct tape around her eyes, and duct tape around her mouth. She wanted to run, but she couldn't. She had to stand right where she was. But little sister girl began to bite through the duct tape with her teeth. She gnawed through the duct tape. Then she bit the duct tape off her wrist, pulled it off her feet, and pulled it up a little bit over her eyes so she could see. Then she climbed up out of the basement, broke a window, and went out and started hollering for help. That's all I'm trying to tell you. Every now and then, you get in a situation you cannot run. You can't run out of that job. You can't go to that job tomorrow talking about I quit. You can't run out on your spouse. You can't run out on your kids. You can't run out on the church. Baby, what you got to do is take a stand, bite your way out, fight your way out, climb your way up, get you a breakthrough, and call on the name of the Lord. How many of you know God will show up in your situation? And you know what? The last time I saw Erica Pratt on TV, somebody was holding her in his arms, and she was waving and smiling. There she was, waving and smiling. They had dogged her, kidnapped her, bind her, tied her up, but there she was, waving and smiling. And didn't nobody say, it don't take all that. Why are you waving and smiling? Stop all that, because we knew what she had just come out of. Y'all, when we at church waving and smiling, don't y'all start dogging us. You don't know the hell we had to fight out of. You don't know what we just came through. You don't know what we do. I have a witness in here. How many know sometimes you got to get your praise on? He says, I'm going to make your feet like Heinz feet. Then I'm going to make you walk in high places. Jeffrey Johnson, even when you got a mind to go to low places, I'm going to do some things in your life to get you back in place. See, that's what's wrong with us. We got, we got possessions but we still misplaced, displaced, and out of place. So God says, I'm going to create an environment, Jeffrey Johnson, to get you to your high place. I love that. It doesn't just say he's going to get you in high places. He said he's going to get me to my high place. That's why I ain't jealous of your high place. Come on now. <laughs> I ain't envious of your place. I ain't envious of your job, your money, nothing. Because what God has for me, it is for me. And I know God's got a purpose for me, a program for me, and a place for me. Sister girl, that's why you ain't got to try to shack with nobody. You ain't got to move into that man's place. You just wait on God. This ain't no emergency. Don't you pull no alarm. You just hold on because God's got a place for you. Do I have a witness in here? That's why you ain't got to try to get somebody else's woman and try to get somebody else's man smiling in their face all the while trying to take their place. Backstabber because God's got a place. Let me close this thing. Let me close. Let me close. Uh, Habakkuk said, he said, I, I will rejoice. And he's going to make my feet like hinds feet. Now, now notice, we don't, we don't know if he ever got figs and fold fruit. and all. We, we don't know if he got his stuff. We don't know. The story ends without a resolution to his problem. I checked other verses of scripture in the Bible. Maybe somebody else spoke on this. They didn't, y'all. We don't know if he ever got out of that situation. But we do know he never stopped praising him. Because you ain't got to have stuff to have joy. You ain't got to have possessions to praise him. He said, I will rejoice. And when he says, he says, he will make my feet like Heinz feet. Y'all, the, the ancient Hebrew mind already knew that this was an idiom. This, they already knew this was really a reference to dancing, that this is a connect. When, when he said, he'll make my feet like hinds feet, immediately what came to the Hebrew mind was that this man, in spite of his devastation, still has a dance. See, the, the feet of a deer are, are light and nimble, and they immediately knew this was an idiom. That It's not talking about deer's feet. It's talking about dancing. Y'all, an idiom is when you say one thing, but it means something else. How can I? Oh, somebody say, I'm rolling in dough. That don't mean they at home rolling in flour. It says one thing, but it means something. It means that they've gotten some money somewhere. Somebody saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm in the doghouse at home. That don't mean they're in the backyard in a little bitty doghouse. 
it means that they've gotten in trouble with whoever they're living with. It, it says one thing, but it means something else. I, I told Pastor Page today, these people are driving me crazy. That didn't mean somebody was driving me to a place called crazy. It just means I got some emotional, psychological issues. I'm going to have to get addressed if stuff keep going in the direction that it's going. It says one thing, but it means something else. When he says he'll make my feet like deer's feet, he says he's going to make it so I can still get my dance on. Y'all stop waiting till your deliverance comes before you get your dance on. You ought to be able to give God the praise no matter what you're going through. He says, I will get my dance on. I will get my praise on. I command my feet to praise the Lord. Y'all, when I was a kid, Billy White Shoes Johnson used to play for the Houston Oilers. They're the Houston Texans now. But Billy White Shoes used to play for the Houston Oilers. And whenever that wide receiver would score a touchdown, he'd hold the ball over his head and do a dance in the end zone. Well, the white media didn't understand why an African-American had to celebrate the way he celebrated when he got in the end zone. Why doesn't he just lay the ball down like everybody else? So they went to and said, why you got to dance every time you get to the end zone? Why don't you do like everybody else? Just lay the ball down and walk away. He said, you don't understand something. You don't know when I was in college what I had to do to make it to this level. You don't know how I had to lift weights and the mini camps and the two workouts every day. You don't know the people that try to pull me down every time I get the ball. You don't know the folk that try to stop me when I get to the end zone. Since you don't know everything I went through, that's why you don't understand why I dance when I get there. And he told them, instead of asking me why I do dance, ask those other folk why don't they dance. Because if you've been through what I've been through, you got to get your dance on. Hey, hey, don't ask me why I shout. Ask these other folk why don't they shout. Don't ask me why I praise him. Ask these other people why don't. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Then go on and get your praise on. Somebody ought to praise him. When I think of the goodness of Jesus, and all he's done for me. Somebody ought to praise him. Somebody ought to get in the house and get your dance on. He'll make your feet. Hey, hey, hey. I know my time is up, but let's just take about 30 seconds and give God some praise. Yes. Come on. Yes. 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 Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. When I think of his goodness, what he's done for me, think of his goodness, how he set me free. I just jump, 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 jump. Think of his goodness, what he's done for me. When I think of his goodness, how he set me free. I can dance, 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 dance all night, all night. All night, all night, all day, all night, all day, all night, all day, all night, all night, all night, all day, all day, all day, all day, all night, all night, all night, all night, all night, all night, Think of his goodness, what he's done for me. Think of his goodness, how it set me free. I can dance. 
listen, I need some people that ain't ashamed to give God some praise. I need some folk that ain't got to wait till you feel it before you will it and will command your feet to praise the Lord. If you need to get a little more room, go on and get in the house. I need some people that will get that dance on in here. Come on now. When I think of his goodness, what he's done for me, when I think of his goodness, I set me free. I just dance, dance. All night, 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 all night. Hey! Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, we thank you today. We glorify you in this place. Thank you, Lord. Listen, listen, I don't, everybody remain standing. I don't, I don't want anybody coming to the front unless you're getting your life together, unless you're coming to make that commitment to Christ. All that devastation you've been going through, you've been wondering, does God love me? Does God care for me? Does he have the power to do anything? God was not leaving you. He was preparing you. God's got something for you. He's got a plan for you, a program. He's got a place for you. But he couldn't get you to that place the way you've been, the way you've been acting, your character, your disposition, your attitude, your lifestyle. So God said, Jeffrey Johnson, I had to do some things in your life so that you can recognize your need to have a relationship with me. I had to make your feet like hinds. I had to teach you how to stand, how to get over things, how to fight your way through situations. I hadn't left you. I was preparing you. God's got a place for you. God's got a purpose for you. He's got a program for you. Well, Pastor, I want it in my life. Then I want you to slide out of that aisle and come on down here. Preacher, this, this word was for me. I got to get my life together with God. God's been, I thought he had left me, but he's been working on me. Praise the Lord. Somebody else, praise God. You don't have to have all that stuff to have joy. And I'm not saying God won't give you a house and a car and all that and clothes. I know he will because he's done it for me. But I don't have to have that. I have transcended that. I don't have to have that to have joy. It's all about Jesus, right?